If you have your copies of God's Word, we are going to be starting chapter 5 on what is incredibly more space on the screen. So I'm pretty excited, um, and I, I was able to use all of the space and all of the colors. So enjoy. Picking up in chapter 5, but let's set the stage. So far, the early church has gen- been just like, almost like an impossible expectation. Everyone's getting along. There's unity in the church, not because everyone agrees on everything, but because everyone agrees on what? One thing. And that one thing is the resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the empowering of His Holy Spirit. And they're getting along, and, the, and they're selling stuff, and it's a unique situation. They're, they're helping each other, and they're loving each other. And then the, one of the first names we see is Barnabas, and he never does anything wrong. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like my church. Well, maybe chapter 5 will sound a little bit more like our church, or us. For this is the very first time we see a negative record of something happening in the early church. And we pick up in verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, 16 years ago when I first came here, I accidentally said that these two women who were married, and Bill and Helen Stevens, how many here remember Bill and Helen Stevens, corrected me right in the middle of the service. And uh, so I will always remember that. But who names their son Ananias? But let's move forward, all right? But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, just like Barnabas. He kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did not it remain your own? Even after, when you sold it, was it not under your control? Why is it you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last breath, and great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him and carried him out. They buried him that moment. How many here are kind of thankful this this was not your first church? Anyone at all? Now there elapsed an interval, about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that, that was the price. And Peter said to her, Why is it you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to test? Behold, The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and said, Another one? And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the entire church. And over all those who heard these things. And we'll stop right there. All right. With that being said, let's ask for God's blessing. We'll walk through, which is a passage that is 
very applicational to our lives. But we'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that you recorded what happened. Your word is not propaganda. It is not a pamphlet to make us look perfect. It is true. And Father, this is a hard passage to read. And we wonder, what does this have to do with us? I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our ears to see that this is us. And we need to heed this warning. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for um, all that you've done this week. But I readily confess that I am as dependent upon you now as any time. Whether in great success or failure, I'm always in desperate need of you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. Be our teacher. And I pray this and I ask this in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake, say amen. Years ago, when Trinity was starting its first building program, we had a fundraising campaign that was called Stewardship of Life. It was for the first edition here, building expansion here at Trinity. And it was called Stewardship of Life. And unfortunately, several years ago, it was abbreviated in the bulletin, and I will never forget, the SOL campaign. For those of you who do not know what SOL stands for, allow me to teach you in this teachable moment. It means to be spiritually out of luck. At least that's how I've always interpreted it, but I can't speak for the rest of you sinners, all right? But it was an exciting time at Trinity. The church was growing, people were getting saved, um, people were getting baptized, and, and we were all living our lives out, our spiritual lives out sacrificially. And it was a, a great time, but in great times, there can also be a dangerous intoxication, if you will. I remember very clearly this couple came up and spoke to me, and they said, we'd like to be part of the Stewardship of Life campaign, and we, we really like what's going on here at Trinity, and we would like to pledge this generous amount. And I thanked them. And their pledge was added to the total number, and when the offering plate came around, they, they put that promise into the plate in front of everyone. Shortly after, they came up and said, we will not be able to give what we promised. And I said, oh, okay, I understand. Things change, you know. Um, things happen in our lives. And uh, they said, we, we, we need to secretly take it back, what we publicly gave, because we find that it's going to interfere with our travel this year. And, and we don't want to miss out on our travels. So we would like to take it back. And we don't want anyone to know. They wanted an image of generosity without the actual costs of it. I think that's kind of what's happening here in this text. Exciting things are happening in the early church. We've been studying those together. The church is exploding it's 2,000, 3,000, 5,000. And, and now they don't even record the numbers anymore. The Holy Spirit is working. People are hemorrhaging the gospel in their lives. And it's not just in their words, but in their actions. In fact, here we find at the end of chapter 4, and there was no needy person 
in the church. For all who are owners of land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds and sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would distribute them to each as they had need. And we studied last week that Barnabas was an excellent example of what was going on here. There was love. There was generosity. And with all of this going on, it was also, here it is, dangerously intoxicating. And this couple wanted to be part of it, or at least give the impression that they were part of it. You see, the key to interpreting this passage is to see the clear contrast between Barnabas' sincere heart and the hypocritical heart of Ananias and Sapphira. These two want to give the impression of being spiritual while secretly being in love with themselves. Let me say that again. They came to church wanting to, to, to give the impression that they loved God and the people of God, but secretly they loved themselves. Now I want you to grab this. The main thrust here of what's going on here is not about the money. It is not about the money. The money is just the vehicle that is revealing the heart at this time. This is not about the money. But two people, oh, grab this church, because here's where we begin to see ourselves in a text none of us can relate to. These two people want to give the impression of being godly when at church, but inwardly their hearts are far. From God. Let me ask you a question I want you to answer. Does this ever happen in the church today? Talk to me. We come in so shiny, do we not? Well-dressed, and people are like, how many here, now let's be honest, have literally lied when someone said, hey, how you doing? And you just, out of, out of neurological muscle memory, just go, I'm fine, how are you? And you are having the worst day of your life. Talk to me. Anyone at all? I was never, if I may share, Amy, can I share that story about how you answered honestly one time when someone said it? Okay. She said yes, but I know that face. So let's move forward, all right? No. We got in the car one time, and I love this about my wife. I really do. Someone walked by and said, oh, hi, Amy, how are you? Are you having a good day? She's like, no, it sucks, all right? And, and the person turned around, she goes, my day's horrible. Oh, to be a little bit transparent with one another. So now, I try to say those things and I get in trouble. But, here it is. They want to give the impression of something that isn't there. Do people ever come to church and give the impression that God is important? And actually, He is not. Start asking yourself that question. Myself that question. So with all that being said, Barnabas is an amazing man. And they want to be counted in that company. Well, at least give the impression that they are in that company. And so with all of that said, look at all this room, all right? I'm excited about this. In fact, our entire study is going to stay on the screen thanks to the miracle of technology. Or what we did 20 years ago, your Bible, all right? But a man named Ananias, his wife Sarah, sold a piece of property and they kept back price for themselves. His wife had full knowledge of it. In fact, in the Greek, it was the wife polluting the husband, just like in Genesis, when Eve caused man to sin. You can see the biblical pattern here, all right? 
what is that? <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, now you guys are just showing off. I don't like that much control back there <laughs> at all. Not that I struggle with control issues whatsoever. Don't you dare do it again. Um, his wife's a fire, sold a piece of property, full knowledge together, laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, hey, why has Satan filled your heart? Why have you retained it? Wasn't not your own? Why did you make this kind of decision? Why is it you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. As, and as he heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last. Great fear came across all who heard it. The young men got up, covered him, carried him out, and buried him. And great fear came over the whole church and all those who heard of these things. I want to highlight the words Ananias with his wife, Sapphira. Have you ever met someone who just does not fit their name? Someone who does not fit their name. Maybe there's a, a dear woman who has a bulldozer of a personality named Patience. Maybe you meet a man named Moose who is 80 pounds soaking wet. Maybe there's another person who has a tongue that can destroy an aircraft carrier, carrier named Mercy. That's kind of what we have here with Ananias. Ananias means God is gracious. His wife's name means beautiful. The irony just fills the room from the very beginning. Because there is nothing about their actions that are gracious and nothing about their actions that are beautiful. You might say the very names are hypocritical to how they live their lives. So this couple who is nothing like their name saw an opportunity to make a double profit. And that double profit is that they could gain standing in the church. Oh, praise the Lord. This kind of, of attitude does not cling into the lives of the church today. They saw an opportunity to gain standing in the church and live for themselves at the same time. This is a sweet deal for them. Now, I want to make something abundantly clear. Withholding some of the money for their own use is not a sin. Withholding some of the money for themselves was not a sin. In fact, Peter makes this clear in verse 4, that giving was voluntary. The sin that is in view here is found, it traces of it already in their name. The sin here is the sin of hypocrisy. The sin of hypocrisy. To give the appearance of one thing, but yet be a complete different thing or another. Nothing destroys the church like hypocrisy. Nothing is more abhorrent to God as those who flaunt spiritual beauty they do not possess or have any desire to have. In fact, in Revelation, God said to a lukewarm, hypocritical church, I want to spew you out of my mouth. I just want to throw you up. Let me say it another, one, another thing. God hates simulated holiness. He hates simulated holiness holiness. I just want to pause right now. Do we, do you, do I simulate holiness? What people see versus who we are? In fact, this is the first negative account of the early church. In some ways, if you think about it this way, it is the original sin of the church. 
It is the first sin that we see here. It is sin number zero. And what is that sin zero? It is hypocrisy. Nothing destroys the church more than this. And without understanding that this is a very dangerous thing, it is impossible to make sense of the severity of what is about to take place. So here we go. He sold a piece of property and kept back a price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it. Now so far, all is good. All right? Everything's good. Nothing wrong here. They saw Barnabas' actions, and, and maybe they genuinely wanted to follow his example. Maybe they looked at that and said, you know what? We love this church, and we're part of this church. But contextually, it is highly likely that, that if they are believers, and most commentators think that they are believers, they are, they are early new Christians, and they want to be what they see. So maybe... They, they genuinely wanted to follow Barnabas' example. And their motivation was mixed. And when the money was in hand and the property was finally sold, and they got that money in their hands, uh, it, it, it got uh, some mixed emotions. How many here, when you finally liquidate something and you feel the actual physical money in your hand, it just becomes a little more real? Anyone at all? We always encourage our children as much as possible is we want you to feel your spending. Because when everything's electronic, it can kind of just become numb. All of a sudden they get it in their hands and they begin to get mixed emotions. We know how this feels. How many here have ever missed giving your tithe, your offering, and a week goes by and another week goes by, and then on that third week or third period or whatever it is, all of a sudden you're holding a a, a, a larger sum of money in your hand and you think to yourself, man, I could do some things with this. And all of a sudden there's that slight confliction uh, before you give it. Anyone at all? Okay, just me. Just holy rollers out there. He laid it at the apostles. Now, why isn't Peter smiling at this point in time? What's wrong here? The key in the words here is found in the words he kept back. In fact, it is the same word that we find in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, when Achan secretly, same word, kept back the gold and silver that was already devoted to the Lord. All right? The gold and silver that was devoted to the Lord when Jericho was sacked. That's an entire chapter 7 of Joshua. Achan, by the way, was immediately killed for the sin of holding back that which belonged to the Lord. Now, while the context of these two accounts are, are different, Acts chapter 5 and Joshua chapter 7 are very different, the words here communicate the same sin. And here it is, the deceit of hypocrisy in our lives. Hence the words that Peter says here in verse 3, they kept back a piece of land. And Peter is not fooled. Peter is not fooled. He said, in fact, he sees that this is a direct act of Satan in the church. You see, Satan has begun to, to persecute the church on the outside. You got the Sanhedrin, you got, you got the Romans, you got all of a sudden pressure is starting to come on the church. And now there is an attack on the inside of the church. He says, Satan has filled your heart 
to lie to the Holy Spirit. Now, like we said just a minute ago, most theologians believe that Ananias and Sapphira may most likely have been believers due to the context, the, the overarching large picture context. Yet Peter has, has says, Satan has filled your heart. Now it's important to understand there is a bib- biblical distinction, all right, in the definition between indwelled and filled. It says here that he filled his heart. The indwelling is a term more of occupying and ownership. We are, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We are owned. We are occupied. We are, we are, we are uh, owned by the Holy Spirit. Now the word filled, however, is a term more towards influence or control. So how is it that Satan can fill the heart of a believer? Very simple. The same way in our lives we are filled with the Holy Spirit. When we obey God, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are controlled. We are influenced by the Holy Spirit. When we disobey God, or we don't care, or there's apathy in our lives, we, we, are, um, we are filled with the influence and control of the evil one. And by the way, there is no middle ground. One of the, the great deceptions of Satan, our adversary in our lives, is that somehow there is between, you know, becoming ungodly and becoming godly over here, there's some sort of eddy in the middle. And that's where we all like to think we just spin around in our lives. I'm not getting better. I, I acknowledge that. I could do a little better. But I, at least I'm not like... And we always pick like the worst person possible, don't we? And I'm nothing like Jeffrey Dahmer. Like that's the goal. There's no such thing as an editor. You are either moving towards Christ or you are moving away from Christ in your heart and in my heart. So when we obey, when we submit when, to, to the Holy Spirit, we are filled with His influence. And when we don't, we are filled with Satan's or evil. Here's a question for you. I want you to answer this honestly. Who is filling your heart right now? There's no eddy. There's no middle ground. Who's filling your heart right now? based on your act of obedience and total surrender. May I add just something very potent here? Sin is visible to God. All of it. All of it. All of our sin is visible to God just because we have hidden it from others or worse, because we have become comfortable and have accepted it in our lives. Just because we have hidden it or become comfortable, God sees every detail of our hearts. And it matters to Him. And it matters to Him for three reasons. He is holy, He is jealous, and He loves His children. Amen, church? He's not interested in watching us drift into the filling of the evil one. And this is this. While it remained unsold, it did not remain, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold down under your control, why is it you have conceived in your heart to do this? So let me make this quick and let me make this clear. Ananias and Sapphira, all right, were under no obligation. And this, uh, no under obligation to give it all. And this is not a rule about common property 
in some or some early form of communism or socialism. There is nothing required of them, both before the sale or after the sale, other than the overarching biblical principles found in the New Testament of being generous, joyful, and sacrificial when we give. That is the standard of the Word of God in the New Testament. We are to be joyful, we are to be regular, we are to be uh, uh, sacrificial, and we are to be generous. But there was, there's no command here that he must give it all. So let me just evaporate this right down to the nitty-gritty. Satan is trying to undermine the church. He's trying to undermine what the church represents by destroying it with, here it is, hypocrisy. This is no casual deception. In fact, it was the first, and I want you to grab this because this is rather large, it is the first seeds of hypocrisy falling on the fertile soil of the new church. And they must not take root or the effectiveness and the purpose of the church will be aborted even in its infancy Like a baby that has just been born, it must be protected so that it can grow up and be more resilient in its maturity. And by the way, there is still a way out of this for Ananias. There's still a way out of it. In fact, let me ask you a question. Um, I need my glasses clean. Anyone got soft cloth? Thank you, baby. All right. There's still a way out for Ananias. All right. When Peter says, hey, is... Is this what you got? Is this what's going on? What did all that Ananias had to do? Talk to me, church. Confess. I heard the T word over here. What was that word? Truth. Just say the truth. So we're just going to keep talking until these glasses are clean. All right? What are some What are some not some synonyms of telling the truth? Honesty. Yeah. He could have just said, you know what? We were planning on giving all of the money... Uh, my wife and I were going to give it all. Thanks, Amy, by the way. And, and we just decided, you know what? It felt good in our hands. So we decided to hold some back because we were hoping to do some traveling later this year. All he had to do is be real. All he had to do is be, and, and Paul, you said this word, honest. All he had to do was is stop pretending So I want to do something here that is important to me as your pastor. I do not have it all together. I am a sinner saved by grace. And I want you to know that there are times when Satan fills my heart with temptation and I fail. I do not want to feign spirituality in front of you. One thing I want to promise to you is that I always want to tell you the truth, even if it means that I look bad, or if you don't like the answer, or if you're disappointed in me. I want to tell you the truth. I would rather that you trust me and be humbly honest before my Lord than to tell you what you want to hear and lose your trust. So let me just tell you the truth. I am a sinner. I'm trying hard to be a good example for God in the midst of hundreds of different expectations of what people think that should look like. 
But there are times when I, not only can I not meet the expectations, but let me just cut to the bone here. There are times when I simply just fail my Lord. And that is not my desire. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all those who heard it. And the young men, they got up and they covered him and they, 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 they carried him out and they buried him. How would you like to be part of this early church? Can you imagine if two of our deacons, and I know that technically these young men aren't deacons, but technically they are because they're serving the church, which is what the Greek word diakonos means, to, to be a servant. They come in, so for the sake of imagery here, the, these young men, these deacons come in, and, and Zach Arm, Harmon comes into our church, and or into the room, and Ryan Baker turns the corner of the auditorium, and there's Tim Hopkins lying dead on the ground. And they look at me and they say, what happened? And I go, he lied to me. And he lied to God. Bury him out back before Marcia gets here. Quickly. I mean, we read this a couple thousand years later. We're like, what in the world is going on here? Can't you at least say, hey, why don't you see if Sapphira's around? Bury him out back. You know, we have five acres to the west of this church. It's all wooded. Some of you might be saying, you know, I haven't seen Susie in a while. Don't leave the woods alone, all right? What is going on here? Some of us may say, why did they bury the body so fast? Why didn't they tell his wife? Allow me to explain this rather quickly here. Burial, burial was almost always done on the day of the death. There's no embalming fluids. There's no... There's no, um, what's that called? What do they do? What's embalming fluids called? I think it's called embalming fluids. Okay. There's no embalming fluids. There's nothing going on like that. So you would always bury the person the day they died. But of course there was a funeral. Of course there was family. There was mourning. There was all of that stuff. However, this here is exceptionally quick. It is exceptionally hasty. So the question that rises is why? Because clearly, within the context, this is the instant judgment of God. Okay? The instant judgment of God signaling His condemnation of their hypocrisy and lie before the church. To these early Jews, they would have feared that the body, if the body was not buried immediately, further acts of divine judgment would follow. You'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 21. All right. In fact, there, there's a, there's a, there's a hint of this even in our culture here. Have you have you ever been next to someone who says something very offensive to God, or very arrogant towards God, or very evil, or says something very pompous or something like that? And they say something, and it's like clearly a a a, a poke in the throat of a of our heavenly Father. What do you do? Talk to me. Hmm. Now, why do we do that? I know that's kind of just symbolically, but when someone goes, you know, there is no God, you're like, okay, all right, we'll see you later. Why? We don't want to be what? Struck by lightning too. That's kind of the spirit of what we got here, but much greater than that. 
They don't, you don't want to be around someone who has been clearly condemned by God. You don't want to be around someone who has clearly angered God. That's kind of what's going on here. Especially, and let me be honest here, what is going on here? We need to look at this and be honest because so many of us are guilty of the same thing today. With a raise of hand, how many here have ever seen the slightest traces? I mean, if you really look hard of hypocrisy, raise your hand. Anyone at all? How many here today? Okay, thank you. Four of us. The rest of you are hitting cleanup. That's amazing. How many of us would be alive right now if God did this every time we were hypocritical? What would the attendance of Trinity Baptist Church be? What, what would the footprint of His church look like? The original sin of hypocrisy in the church, the first seeds of hypocrisy, what can, that, what can destroy the church's testimony more than anything else has fallen on the fertile soil of the early church. And God will not let these seeds set. He will not let them take root in His early infant church. So, so He loves His newborn church so much, He just scorched earth the entire moment. And by the way, God is justified by His response. Church, finished this sentence. For the wages of sin is what? God never said the wages of sin is death someday. Every breath we take is the amazing grace of God. Amen? That He would be long-suffering in our lives because every one of us is Ananias and Sapphira in this room. Oh, we swim in the grace of God. But the question rises, why is God so severe? Have you ever had to make a severe decision in one area in order to create an example that would ripple out to everyone else? We need to make an example of this or, or others are going to do it as well. I wrote a story and I want to share it with you. It's brief. There once was a father. And as he was cleaning his guns out, he turned his back for a moment. And his young child picked up one of the guns and started to look into the barrel. The father turned and he saw it. Nothing could destroy his son. Nothing could destroy his family. Nothing could destroy his home more quickly than, than a reckless moment like this. Now, as you hear this story, I want it watermarked behind the context of this church. Nothing could destroy the family like this moment. And because of the the, the potential devastation of this moment, the Father addresses it severely. And in that moment, the Father did not put His hands on His Son's shoulder and say, Son, I respect your decision and applaud your, your, your curious spirit. 
I hope the tone of my voice does not make you feel uncomfortable, son. No, the father lit up like a Roman candle. He reached, he, he leaned into his son like there was no tomorrow, and he did not let it go. He rebuked his son with such severity and fear. Now, we may say, why is this? Why did the father do that? Was he just beating his chest and declaring who was in control? Was this some sort of mindless power figure that needed to flash his authority? No, he did it because he loved his son. He loved his family. And this moment was so pivotal, he could not soft serve it. The father did not enjoy it. The father did not love it. The father actually hated it. But he was sending a message not just to his child, but one that would ripple to his whole family because he loved them. And to this day, his family knows better than to play with guns now. How he responded that day was not a normative response. The father didn't normally lean in like that, but it was a necessary one out of love because the danger of that moment had the potential of destroying the entire family in every possible way. He made it absolutely clear how dangerous this is to the life of the family. And you do not play around with it. My friends, that is what we have here. Hypocrisy in our lives has the potential of absolutely destroying the testimony and effectiveness of the entire church. And when God saw His new baby infant church playing with a gun looking down the barrel of hypocrisy, He sent a loud message. Now I want you to grab this. The message He sent by taking the life of Ananias and Sapphira is not normative. It is not normative. Just like the father who saw his young child with the gun, it wasn't normative. This is not how God will always choose to deal with hypocrisy, but it does show just how important the issue is to him and how dangerous it is to the family of God. Because he made Ananias and Sapphira such a severe example, all right, that the ripples of this example shuddered through the entire church. In fact, we see it right here in the text. And great fear came over the church and over all those in the community that heard this. Let me just pause for a moment. What we see here in this verse tells us what is on the heart of the Heavenly Father which is the family. It says here the whole church. And, not, uh, and it was so on his heart that for the first time in all of the book of Acts, the, uh, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he pins the very breath of God, for the first time he writes the word, Ecclesia, the church. This is the first time our name comes up like this. A gathering of believers bound together by Jesus. Us. His bride. Unified not because we agree, we all agree on everything, but that we all agree on one thing. The severe discipline of these young believers deterred many others and no doubt gave for much examination. God cares about the effectiveness of its bra- His bride. God cares about about the purity of His bride. Oh, my friends, 
Do you see here the hypocrisy found in the names of Ananias and Sapphira? There is nothing beautiful and there is nothing gracious about feigning spiritual health with hypocrisy. And if I may be so bold, it is nothing more than the bride of Christ staring down the barrel of a sin that could cost us everything that we were meant to be which is to be effective in a powerful testimony to who Jesus Christ is. And our Lord sends such a severe message that the heat waves of this moment reverberate through the whole community. And to this day, they flow down the halls of history, sliding down the sides of every denomination, in every age, in every sex, in every culture, that nothing is more dangerous to the life of the church than to pretend that we are something that we are not. Oh church, may the heat waves of this moment melt over our hearts two millennia later. Let us be real before the Lord our God and one another. Oh, the time has come for the church to stop pretending we are His bride while living promiscuous lives. Pretending we are people who believe in prayer, but never pray. Who say church is precious, but will not commit to it. Whose lives are a mess, but advertise how clean we are. Who declare the generosity of God, yet hoard His blessings to ourselves. Who proclaim that God is love, yet live lives of absolute apathy. Oh, church, church of God, may we come out of the shadows of hypocrisy and into the light of life, for our testimony is not found in how well we pretend that we have it all together, but rather our testimony is found when people see that we are nothing more than sinners saved by grace. Amen? Glory to His name. It's all Him. I am a broken man in desperate need of a whole, complete God. But may I flip the coin over real quick? Let us not hide behind our honesty. What? Let us not hide behind our honesty. Allow me to explain. We tend to think that as long as we're not hypocritical about sin, then it's okay. Have you ever said the words or heard the words or felt the words or here's words, lived the words? At least I'm honest about it. At least I'm not a hypocrite. Oh, my friends, honesty about sin does not excuse it. Friend, you are part of the church, a community bound together by the grace of Jesus. Are you living with hypocrisy? Are you living with secret sin? Let me tell you something. The God who loves you hates it. God hates it. He burns in righteous anger against it. And He loves His church so much, He will not allow her to look down the barrel of hypocrisy because the price is simply way too high. So today, we're going to do something a little different. 
And I'm going to ask you not to hide. I'm going to ask you not to lie. We're going to have a good old-fashioned altar call, but very different. No grandstanding. No, look how spiritual I am. Instead, a walk of humility in outward commitment. An opportunity to physically and spiritually step out of the shadows and make a tangible decision before the Lord today and one that will carry into the week. Search me, O God. As we close our service, I want you to examine your heart. Your heart. No one else's. As we all look so shiny and spiritual right now, what sin in your life do you make sure no one sees? What sin in your life has become so easy? It's just baked into the cake of your walk with Christ. Can I tell you, in the mouth of our Lord, it's horrendous. Today's passage is for believers. So, this moment, which we do rarely, rarely, is primarily for our sanctification. If there are areas you need to totally give up to God, I invite you during this song to come forward. Kneel at these steps. You may say, I I physically can't do that. Then, Then raise your hand in the community. And symbolically lay it before the Lord. Now, your natural response to that, I know what it is because it's my natural response to that. Why can't I just do that in my chair? Why can't I just do that privately? Why can't I just do it in a way that's really super easy? Here's the the answer. You can. But how is privacy working out for your walk with Christ? How is privacy helping you get rid of that sin? I can tell you what it does to mine. It kills me. Privacy kills my walk with God. And by stepping out or raising your hand, as a body of believers, we make a visible point that we need to do something. And those of us who have not come up yet, we will pray for one another. We will not judge one another. We will rejoice with one another. But by coming up, you are committing to the Lord to do one more thing. Symbolically, you lay it before the Lord, but in that moment, you're doing one more thing. That this week, you will literally seek out someone to help you. You will seek out accountability. Whether it's you go to your small group and say, hey guys, I need some help with this. Or a friend, or a pastor, or a spouse, an elder, a deacon, a deaconess. You're making a commitment that I will act on this moment 
Because the time for isolated Christianity must end. Because isolated Christianity breeds hypocrisy in the bride of Christ. So I encourage you, examine your heart. Confess it. Lay it. Commit to do something this week. And return to your seat. To be honest with you, this moment in time should include much traffic in the bride of Christ. And let me tell you, I will be the first. I will be the first. I'm not asking you to commit to be perfect. I'm asking you to make a commitment to pursue Christ. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we close our service with this moment, I pray that our hearts would not be filled with Satan right now. And we know the evidence of Satan filling our hearts if we find ourselves making excuses as to why we don't need to do anything. That is Satan's lie. We hear it, Lord. We constantly need to do something. There is no middle ground. So, Father, if someone in this room is hearing the whisper in their ear, I'm fine the way I am, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our lives in such a way that we would run away from the barrel of what is killing the church. Start with We love you, Lord, for you are God. You are God. There is none like you. And it's in his holy name. I pray this in the power of your Holy Spirit. Pull us from the shadows of hypocrisy. Not because we're perfect, but because we want to pursue. In Christ's name, I ask this in His name for His glory. I beg you. Amen. Church, as the music's playing, I want you to just Begin to examine your hearts. Don't listen to Satan, who is real. And listen to your Lord. And when you hear the clear voice of your shepherd, because you are his sheep and his sheep hear his voice, when you hear him saying, do something about this, don't let your answer be to do nothing. Oh, you love me if you obey my commands. So I open up this moment as a community. Lay it on the altar. Confess it. Commit. Go back to your seat. And pray for one another. I love you, Jesus.
begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Lay down your
gracious Father, dismiss us with your pleasure. This is our offering to you, far greater than anything we could put in the plate. Glorify yourself with it. Just you. I love you, church family. Now go get some help this week. Love you.